This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> And welcome in to episode 166 of Half Measures. We are doing something a little different this week, and we're going to do a deep dive into a favorite movie of ours. I'd like to introduce my co-host who's wearing glasses. Dan, I'm wearing glasses. You wouldn't have a go with glasses on, would you? If you got to go, Paul, go with the smile. That's all I say. Good to see you. I love a special episode where we do a deep dive. Batman 1989. Amazing. This is uh, a childhood classic for me up there with, with, I guess, A New Hope, I guess. It's, um, what, so 1989, I would have been, what, 12? Wait, no, 11. Yeah, well, 10. Not even that, who knows? Oh, wow, I love how you... It's getting younger, it's getting younger. 89, no, 10, I would have been 10, I would have been 10. I, I, I remember seeing this at the movies. Yeah, I was just to say, I, when this movie came out, 89, I, I was a teenager, a young teenager, but, you know, I I just, I, I remember this vividly and that means quite a lot to me because my memory is starting to go. I am starting to forget a number of things, but I have a very vivid memory of going to the cinema to watch a movie about a character who at that point had been singularly known to me via only the 60s series as Adam West and the animated 70s series voiced by Adam West. He was Batman. That was Batman. And I had no idea what I was walking into. I really didn't. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, I think, is, you know, the... The 60s Batman was on TV every single day of the week after school. And I, to be honest with you, I think it's still – like it's obviously very campy and it's it's a very different Batman to what we're used to today, but it's still, it still holds a very special place in my heart as a as kind of the, the stepping stone into the Batman universe. Oh, it really does. I mean, I we've just re-watched this movie for this podcast and – one of my, I mean, I'm jumping in a bit, but one of my complaints of that rewatch was the quality of the uh, the format, the presentation from which I watched it. And last week, I talked about maybe going out and buying a Blu-ray, the you know Robert Pattinson's mm-hmm. um, 4K, the Batman. I'm thinking, I reckon this movie with the the pure upgrade to 4K could be absolutely spectacular. I think that this, along with Batman Returns, are some are some top yes. quality, top quality Batman, and I think you're right. Like this is one to own on on 4K. I, I've told the story a, a few times on the pod, but I actually I won this in a newspaper competition. I won Batman 1989. But when if you check your phone right now, you'll see a photo that I've just sent you, um, and if you if you if you've been a long time listener, I will. <laughs> I, I won so much with this. I, I remember filling it out in the in the newspaper, answering a question, and I won Batman on video cassette VHS. I won a giant Batman poster. And I won all this Batman merch. And it was like a bag, a t shirt, some like suspender braces, a scarf, a Batman hat. And being just a, a young 10, 11 year old, 
I, I didn't sort of like just like phase and I might wear one or two of these things. I'm wearing all of it, Paul, and I'm wearing all of it with pride. I, I'm, I'm too Batman. I've just got all of it on at once. And I can't, like, such a great day. Absolutely brilliant, this this photograph, Dan. I would love the opportunity to share this with our listeners. And we can talk about that offline because it's quite extraordinary. Um you're looking pretty impressed with yourself with all this merch and you are wearing all of the merch, holding all of the merch. It's brilliant. I, um, oh, it's, you know, just seeing the posters. Like for me in this house, we have eight full size movie posters. And one of them is Batman 1989. You've got to be pretty special to get a poster full size in the house, I reckon. And I think, look, this is, I've always loved this movie, um, and I was a little bit nervous to rewatch it, to be honest with you, because it's been a very long time since I've I've, I've watched it. We've had many incarnations of Batman since then. We've had animated TV shows. We've had the Nolan Batman. We've had the most recent sort of Patterson Batman. We've had Ben Affleck as Batman. Like there's been, we, we've had different iterations, even in that Tim Burton universe of Batman. Mm-hmm. And I was. I was wondering how is this going to stack up, but put all those fears aside. I just had such a great time, and it was so great to kind of just be reminded of the banging soundtrack they put with this, the great cast, the how dark it was for 1989. Like this was some re- like obviously Tim Burton has always been a, a bit more of a an edgier director, and he's he has a great vision for sort of universe building and world building, but. This this really is such a leap from the 1960s Batman that, that you and I were kind of used to. And I, I would love to go back and, and interview a young 10-year-old Daniel White and be like, what did you think? Just to kind of hear that kind of first reaction because I just remember coming out of this and loving Batman more than ever. Oh, I was, I was taken from the opening credits and so often we talk about music scores and all the rest of it, but the... The, the the way in which this movie opens, the feel of it, you instantly know what what that Gotham looks and feels like. And and yes, subsequent versions of Gotham have also been equally impressive. But this was the the first time for me because I know the comics obviously depicted something different, but I'd, I'd never experienced the comics at this point. But it depicted something something darker, something smokier, something always overcast the sun never shines in Gotham city and Michael Keaton as, as, as Bruce Wayne, as, as Batman uh, is something that I've talked about a number of times on this, this podcast, Sir Michael Keaton, knighthood pending. He is my Batman. This rewatch has, has proven that to me Uh, more to the point. He's my, my Bruce Wayne and my my wife recently called me out as fancying myself as being a bit like Michael Keaton. And maybe that's true. I don't have the voice for it. That's, that's certainly, but when I think back to this era, I put him right up there with Christopher Reeve as Superman, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, as these genuine heroes, icons and inspirations for me during the 1980s. Absolutely superb. And we haven't even really got into the fact that not only is this a fantastic Batman movie, this is this is the Joker that all other Jokers I think get compared against, and and right. I would imagine um, many many people today probably have a, a 
a wide variety of favourite jokers. But, you know, apart from Cesar Romano, who, you know, was was so, yeah. so, so special in his own right, yes. I think Jack Nicholson putting his, his twist on the Joker, immaculate. Such a huge movie star to come in. And you and I were just saying just off off the mics before we press record, and I think it's worth saying again that, you know, when you look at Jack Nicholson in this movie in 1989, both as the Joker and as Jack Napier, he's he's in peak. And a lot of people might think about the peak as being The Shining or, or other such mm-hmm. times. But uh, for me, this is peak Jack Nicholson. He's the big star. I mean, you look at the poster, it's always, you know, it's his name first. It's just like Marlon Brando with, with Superman and Gene Hackman with Superman. They're always getting the, the you know, the, the billing ahead of Christopher Reeve. Jack Nicholson gets the billing here. He is the major movie star here. And he does deliver a Joker that throughout this movie gives so many great lines with such a distinctive look that, again, as you've just said, has aged for 34 years. That look has aged really well because there was a danger when we think about prosthetics that maybe that might not stand the test of time. But I think it just it still works today. It does. It's And, and not to mention, like, the supporting cast beyond that, like the fact we've got Billy D. Williams in this, it, it, it's so yes. mind blowing to me. Like, you know, as, as Harvey Dent is, and I think the thing is, I would imagine if you were a big comic book fan back in the day, this might not have been so much of a, of a, of a hard transition for you. But like for me, I, I never grew up with comics really either. So I, I kind of came to them a little bit later in life. But so, so going from 60s Batman to this, with the, as you say, the the grittiness, the darkness of Gotham, all of these wonderful characters who, like these days, I feel like we're so kind of deep in the in the the Batman universe. We we know who Harvey Dent is. We know who he's going to become. Um, we've we've got different sort of like feelings about you know James Gordon. It's but again, just just incredible casting all around. A movie that really does, I think, stand the test of time and one that I think the higher the resolution you can watch this in, probably the better the experience you're going to have. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And you're right to, to call out some of the support cast because it doesn't just end their ability. You know, Jack Palance as, as Grissom, absolutely superb. If I'm ever in a meeting with uh, people, I will... If, if if it's a bunch of guys, I will I will actually say that's all. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, gentlemen. That's all. It's it's it's. There are lines throughout this movie that I use in everyday life. Maybe not I'm Batman, but you know there are lines that I use. I used the other day. I said to someone, "Oh, you, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs." There's so many things that are just ingrained into me. I feel like I can quote this movie alongside Star Wars more than any other movie in my in my life. I'd say. Look, my favourite at performance review time. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a it's such a, a mood changer. It really is a mood changer, and the delivery of the lines from the cast is is superb. I I really enjoy um, Michael Goff as Alfred. I think that role. Um, I I would say alongside. Oh, this is a tough call. I'm going off track, but. I, yeah, I just think that some actors that have played Alpha through the years um, haven't always been as convincing. And someone like uh, Michael Goff just gives a real convincing Alfred uh, that just really, really works. And he's just got that granddad type Alfred. And it was a really good transition as a first Alfred from the uh, from the from the sixties um, 
Alfred because I would say probably my favorite Alfred of all time is actually Sean Pertwee from the the Gotham series but I would put I would put Michael Goff as a close second here. I think the the Granddad shirt is a good one because what I'm looking for in my Alfred is I want the kind of the the cool Granddad that allows you to get up to some mischief, um, and he's kind of got your best interests at heart. And this is what um, Michael Goff ha- has in this vision of Batman. Like he's kind of supportive, but he's also caring. Um, but he's also kind of like lining up the right suits and the right gadgets for for our Batman to do what he needs to do. Just on the subject of casting, then. Uh, around the time that they started looking at who they might bring in for Batman, names such as Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Bill Murray, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, and Pierce Brosnan were all being thrown up. I mean, there's a lot of actors in there who you and I really, really enjoy, but I cannot even begin to imagine any of them, I'm sorry, as Batman. It's just, that's not right. The only one I would even consider off that list would be Kevin Costner. And even then... um... I'm not too sure. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, you look at these, you look at the photos now of, or when you, maybe it's just that we're kind of ruined a little bit by Hollywood, but, you know, Batman, particularly with, with Michael Keaton, he doesn't come across as your classic kind of tough guy. He doesn't come across as like, you know, he's all buffed and roided out and he spends every day at the gym kind of brooding. Like he kind of seems a bit more everyday everyday guy but when he puts the suit on he's different and we talked about a, a, a lot of this with um michael patterson's batman but i think this is this still feels like when i when i i i genuinely do see like i i see the i see the bruce wayne and i see the batman as different characters here and it, it, it's such wonderful casting and if someone had shown me michael keaton if i, if I was in the if I was in the, the room deciding, I'd be like, nah, not this guy. He doesn't yeah. have it. But now I, I couldn't think of someone better. And at the time, of course, he'd just done Beetlejuice and a lot of people would have been thinking, oh, he's a natural fit for the Joker. But the Joker, actually, they were considering Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow, Ray Liotta and James Woods. Uh, again, I'm not sure that I could see any of them. I'm going to make a backtrack on my original comment. I actually could have. Wait, did you say a, a backtrack or a backtrack? I hope you said backtrack. <laughs> Yeah, this is the same bat channel. All the bat puns from the 60s, the best, the best. Um, I was just going to make a, a bat track on my original comment. I actually think I could imagine Pierce Brosnan at that time of 1989 mm-hmm. coming in potentially, but I don't know that he would have scored the the Bond gig at that point if he'd, if he'd come here and, and, and done this one because, yeah, look, it, it is what it is. We got who we got, and I, for one, am just so grateful to have had these two opposite each other in this movie because they interact together throughout the movie as Batman and Joker, as Michael, as as, as Bruce Wayne, as Jack Napier, and it, it, it's great. I think until we haven't even touched on on Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale, and good call, good call, and you know, I, I think as a as a young ten year old, um, I, I I'll tell you the character I always found really annoying was um Knox. alexander knox and i don't know what it was I, I i hated how smarmy he was with lucky vale i hated how smarmy he was with bruce wayne i everything about him kind of like rubbed me up the wrong way and now as an old man myself he still rubs me up the wrong way and it's i, I don't even know if he's needed i i think he's he could be cut for me from the story 
No, you're right. He, uh, I mean, he plays the role of the journalist superbly in that respect, I guess. Uh, he, he sort of brings bits to it. He sets lines up for Bruce Wayne or, or for Vicky Vale. But no, good shout on Vicky Vale because without sort of jumping the timeline, I did assume that any sequel we might get, that Vicky Vale would be, you know, he, uh, she would be part of the package and she would be in a relationship with Bruce. And of course she knows about the, the whole, the bat cave thing because Alfred saw fit to say, Hey, look where he hangs out at night. Loose lips, Alfred, loose lips. Um, yeah, look, I think it's in the, you could have seen her sort of carry on and obviously the, the Batman, um, universe kind of goes in sort of a bit of an interesting direction, particularly after, after Batman Returns, but I think what the, what they did really well here is they they gave us a really solid base. They they gave us kind of the world of Gotham. They gave us um, a strong Batman and a strong, a really strong villain. And they started building up some of those sub characters around them to to expand the story in any direction that they wanted. Um, should we sort of talk? Because I think there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here, right? Because we've got. Not only are they introducing us to to Batman, but they're actually really in, like bringing in the origin story of the Joker. Yeah, so uh, I guess that's really probably the one of the first big talking points. And I guess, firstly, the introduction of Batman into the movie, we're getting a feel for this this dirty Gotham, this crime ridden Gotham. And I do, I, I just feel that the 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 way in which Batman is introduced. Uh, into the scene, in the shadows, in the background with silhouettes. I mean, this is where Tim Burton is really putting his own stamp and look on it because, again, we'll talk about this as we go, but you take away Tim Burton from this movie, and again, even with the cast we've got, even with the script we've got, I wonder what it looks like. Well, and I think that's the thing, right, because I think – Tim Burton in the way that he kind of world builds, he is kind of bringing in some of those 60s components in there, even just with the way that the the Joker is producing his gas, the way that he kind of like brands all of his products in a very kind of Jokerish way, all the way to sort of like the Joker helicopter that's really sort of jumping ahead. But I think you're right, like it's it's the Tim Burtonness that makes this special. And I think the other thing, you know, when I and I think it's only now looking back and sort of seeing various actors and, and people talk about you know what it's like to to wear the cow and, and, and wear the suit I really do feel for Michael Keaton like you know from that very first scene when we see him as Batman you can tell how heavy and stiff that suit is and how little neck movement he has with this giant rubber Batman suit on yeah the um oh yeah a real limited thing and we, we talked about that with with Val Kilmer when we reviewed the Val mm-hmm. documentary in terms of the the limitations there and I think it is something a real challenge for an actor going back to as you say to jack napier and the, the origin story of the joker this iteration because of course we've had so many um the the fight scene at the the axis chemical plant when he falls into the vat of acid um where am i going with this so like you i don't often well i go in the ocean quite a lot i don't often put my head under the water but if i do I always do one of two things. It's either see the Terminator 2 as I go under the water, the hand turns into the thumbs up as it goes up, or I, I'm under the water and the hand comes up 
in the joker claw sort of way um obviously i'm doing this with my kids as opposed to me as an adult just going in and doing that and really getting a lot of people asking questions um but there's something really superb about the way jack napier falls into that pad of acid because they do this really clever effect where it goes in and it immediately goes flat like it mm, immediately mm. settles because there's something about the, the the texture of that liquid and when he comes when the hand comes out and you see the white skin it's it's a really this is when the movie kicks in for me and there's something so dark about it isn't there the fact that there's just this vat of acid and kind of the way the way that he falls in the way that it's just exposed the fact that you know it's 1989 health and safety is at an all-time low there is no lids on acid there is there is no you know um pathways on the on the planks they're walking across it's it's just perfect for that for that era at the same time as this we've got sort of the 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 mirror story going on with with us discovering bruce wayne because we actually sort of get batman first and then we discover bruce and we've got bruce hosting a a gala in support of uh, a gotham charity and this is where your character Knox is walking around with with vicky vale who's um got an interest in bats um and i this is where i'm really sold on michael keaton because we've talked about this across numerous batman reviews for different movies but for me the strength of the actor with the exception of the most recent movie which is all about batman and not bruce wayne really it's for me the it's always about the bruce wayne character and how much i can buy into that performance without the suit because the suit and all the rest of it just looks great but the ability to be Bruce Wayne. And this is where I think Michael Keane is, is at his strongest as he's sort of, he's walking around the house. He doesn't really know what rooms are. He's not interested. He's like, he's going into rooms. He's like, I don't even know if I've even been in this room before. He's sort of, he's he's not cut out for it. Without Alfred, he wouldn't even know which way to go to the Batcave. That's the sort of impression we get. And I really buy into that sort of Bruce Wayne. I think that's a really good shout because, it always does feel like you always genuinely believe that he like he is so rich that he he just doesn't know. But it's um yeah. obviously Bruce Wayne is a is a highly intelligent, highly organized guy. But I think he, this is a great example of him living that kind of dual persona life. Yeah, um, and of course, Jack's just going back to Jack Napier's death becoming or death his his death and the birth of the Joker. That's a setup from from Grissom. Uh, played by Jack Palance, he's he sort of sent him in there to do a job and to to set him up to be to be caught by the the Gotham City Police Department, and because he survives that and because he gets a wee bit of plastic surgery, he comes back to visit Grissom, and I always love the introduction of in terms of us seeing the Joker's face using that scene as the as the vessel to do that mm-hmm. because because until now Chris, you know because jack palanza is a big guy and he's a real intimidating guy but the joker walks in and he's no longer jack neighbor he, he is confident he's fancy free he's he's got no inhibitions and the look on grissom's face he's so confused by what on earth has happened it's a great way to introduce a character without it being the first interaction with batman I just love too, and this is the the comic book nature of it all. That like I've I've just fallen into a pot of acid. I'm going straight to the plastic surgeon. I'm going to get a full wardrobe makeover. I'm going for purple suits. Pur- like like it's 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 such the transformation and such the uh, look. This is just the way it is, and it's um. I think you're right. Like this is such a, a fantastic uh, entrance of the Joker. Yeah. 
Uh, there's a few support characters who we possibly might not touch on, but they. When every time I rewatch this movie, I always I love seeing Bob, his head oh, goon. Yeah. He's he's so good. Um, Jerry Hall. Um, she sort of plays a, a sort of a pivotal role in terms of obviously she's been uh, seeing Jack Napier behind. Uh, Grissom's back and she's a little bit confused about what's happened to him as well and I just love how because he's because he's been through the acid um his face now is is this bright white but so when he wants to appear normal he has to put a foundation an orangey foundation on top of that but of course he's putting orange in real life he's putting orange which is a white on top of his real skin it's it's a very weird thing when he sort of rubs his forehead and by rubbing off the orange, he's leaving the white behind. I've always been fascinated by that trick. I, I every time I watch the movie, I have to really think about it because it's like it is such a it's, it's such a it messes with your mind. Yeah, really, really good. We've talked about movies that have made it into our own personal top ten movies of all time, and this for me is one of those movies. And for me, every ingredient has to be right. So we, you know, cast, story, direction, production, music. And that in two ways there, the music, I think there's the, there's the, the Danny Elfman theme, which for me, and I'm interested in your view on this is the Batman theme and, and playing hours of Lego Batman solidified that for me as well. But then the, the other side of the music, the, the, the Prince album, I remember walking into what was in the UK, uh, Woolworths and buying on cassette, uh, the 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 Batman nineteen eighty nine Prince album because up until this point I wasn't cool enough to ever buy a Prince album that wasn't for me I wasn't cool enough for that but this was my gateway into Prince was through the Batman album and I I can still tell you the track order for that album yeah it's a, it's um I recently picked up the the Batman nineteen eighty nine uh, vinyl LP and it's 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 so good and it's I, I think I was never really a Prince fan until Batman either, and I, I think it's such a, a funny intro. Like, yeah, obviously Prince is a, a huge superstar in his own right, but to sort of have the Batman movie as my intro to him is is a funny concept. So so on the subject of it being a top ten movie for me, for me, you've got those things, you've got editing. Then there are things that for a particular movie, for a particular genre, for a particular franchise have to be just right treated just right handled just right and that's where this batman movie does so well and of course it was it was the first you know, before, you know other than the, the adam west it was the first movie in that respect so there was less things that could potentially have been done done wrong but i'm struggling to think of what this movie does wrong and i'm really interested to hear your thoughts because i need i think we need to bring some balance to the force we need a, a critical lens here as well what what doesn't work with this movie for you? It's tough because I think, you know, like when, we, when we've been reviewing the Star Wars movies, it's quite easy to kind of pick out major plot points that like you could change this, intro this character. I I don't find myself picking as many holes in this movie as as I would with some of the other, some of the other classics that I love. And I, and I don't know why that is. I am intrigued, though, about how this movie resonated with me as a as such a young person I, and because I feel like it is I, I I'm watching it now I I wonder who this movie was kind of pitched and aimed at and it kind of feels like it's like it's quite dark it's quite adult obviously 
back in the late 80s it was still very much the you know probably building on you know the the, the marketing and the toys and stuff that come after that yeah. obviously still wanting to get a young audience in I, I do wonder if I, I I wonder what the what the press and media would have been like at the time had the internet been around um yeah and, and, and talking about this film yeah I wonder too and I think as a as a kid why it resonated with me I think it was as the Joker would have said, all the cool, wonderful toys because the Batmobile, mm. the the Batwing, the the Batcave, it took all of those things. Well, obviously, the Batwing was new, but it took things that we'd loved from that 60s series but had seen in a very, as you said, a very campy way, but that 60s style, that Star Trek original series look and color mm. feel and just took it into a very black, dark, cool look. I mean, I don't know about you, Dan, but that, 89 Batmobile that's still one of the best oh just absolutely and I've said many times I'm not a car person um and I loved actually I've got a criticism here we go I loved the Batwing I loved um the look of it and how it was completely the same as the logo I loved the whole scene where it goes up to the moon and creates the perfect silhouette what I didn't like about this movie here we go was how easy it was for old Jackie Nicholson to pull out of his trousers a long shotgun, take one shot with one bullet, even though Batman's raining hell down on him, and bring down the Batwing just like that. Now, it was necessary for plot, but I think maybe he needed a, an RPG or a bazooka or something else. <laughs> Indeed. It's funny, though, because I, I <clears throat> and we're sort of like probably jumping around a little bit, but I... <laughs> yes, we are, at me. I, like I actually think like you've brought up some really good points like you know the Batmobile is always always another kind of key character um, in any Batman movie right and I think you're right to call out this Batmobile this, this is fantastic and the, the Joker is right where does he get these wonderful toys I think there's there's some amazing moments with um, Bruce and sorry with Batman and Vicky Vale you know particularly that one where he's like how much how much do you weigh and he kind of like calls her out and he fires oh, his yeah his grappling gun and then kind of like questions are on it afterwards. I I think again, just sort of thinking, reflecting on my my comment, there's some moments in this movie which are so dark, which I never realised as a kid, which I guess is kind of the the sign of a of a good movie, I guess. But like there's this scene where um Jack Nicholson's Joker kind of has that has has sort of an altercation and he ends up taking Vicky Vale and he's kind of like holding the gun to, to Bruce Wayne's head and it's, you know, Bruce Wayne's kind of almost like I've got nothing to lose and it's like it's quite dark when you think about what's actually going on in that scene when you still think at the end of the day this is a mass marketing machine to sell toys and video games and, and things to kids. It, it really is and I don't think it would it wouldn't happen today. It wouldn't be made like that. Uh, they wouldn't get away with some of those things if this was a... I mean, Disney gets away with some things, as we've talked about, with some of the things they do with the, the Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus. But as a movie cinema experience, which is what this is, this this is another movie that if they re-released it in the cinemas, I'd be there for because it's about that experience. I just don't think they, that they sort of get away with that now. And it's... Um, because, yeah, on the rewatch, you sort of think, wow, I was only this this many years old when I saw this. And at the time, mm -hmm. it never affected me. But, um, 
yeah there's there's a number of scenes like that i think um the the sort of the callous nature in which the joker executes people but he does things like the one where he's at the uh he's at the board meeting where he comes back taking over from grissom and then he just he shakes he hands with and, the guy yeah, yeah. and like he's he's electric him and then he's like oh this one got a little hot under the collar and what you're looking at are the charred burnt bones and skin remains but but at the time you just see the humor of it and it's weird <laughs> It is. It makes me think about, for some reason, Home Alone and how I remember watching Home Alone uh, with my friends at a sleepover and us just like laughing and laughing and laughing about how hurt these burglars were getting trying to break into this house. And it's the same concept, right? Like it's it's kind of like it, it reminds me of talking about the the animated version of the Adams Family where, you know, it's kind of targeted for one audience, but the, the subtle undertone hits, hits for another age group. And I guess the... the Tim Burton's always kind of had that that kind of dark edge that kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit. And I think I think what this movie did for the kind of the Batman universe and Batman's storytelling was so big and so important. It, I I think if we didn't get Batman nineteen eighty nine in the way we did, I think the Batman landscape might have looked quite different today. Oh, it really would have. And yeah, I mean, imagine if we'd started with without Keaton and without Burton, if we'd gone straight into number three, I just, oh, I, God. Mm. It, it wouldn't have taken off in the way, in the way it did the, you know, we touched on it briefly, but the Batcave look and feel, I mean, I know that subsequent Batcaves have been more advanced with, with more budget and better effects, but there's something about that old school, uh, very metallic, uh, industrial setup that keaton has as batman and with like these lcd tvs and all the rest of it it just looks it's aged well it just looks great and i think i wonder if that is because this is batman kind of pre-technology do you know what i mean like Mm. you know the batmans we see now it's you know it's it's hyper tracking it's you know there's a camera in every corner of gotham whereas this was almost kind of a simpler time it was, and I think there's some benefits to that as well. Some of my favourite scenes in this movie, Dan, and I'm curious to hear some of yours, like when the Joker is, um, he's he's created this this chemical compound that is able to um, reproduce the effect that it's had on him with this outrageous smile across the face. Um, the TV commercial that he creates um and sort of again, you know, creative license. Somehow, his goons managed to figure out a way to broadcast that across over the top of the news station, uh, where he's going through the supermarket saying, "Oh, try new Joker products." Little things like that, a real Tim Burton feel about it, but a great bit of comedy that just really bring this Joker to life and really sort of encapsulate his sense of humour. I think, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast started. I think there's so many great moments in this movie are some of the most quotable moments in the movie. And I think it's, you know, there's the amazing chase scene um, with the with the Batmobile going through Gotham. There's the amazing scenes with the Batwing, particularly when it's clipping all of the, the Thanksgiving balloons. Balloons. And, and, yeah, and taking them up into the sky. I, I think it, again, it kind of, because Gotham has always kind of been New York for me, and I think the way they kind of like 
you know, bring in those real life components um, of, of things that you would kind of see on TV w- w- were just so fantastic. But I think one of my favorite scenes, I think, is, is, is kind of the end of the movie. And it's that kind of it's that final showdown between uh, Batman and Joker. Yeah, the clock tower, the climb up the the scene and then the fight on the roof. Yeah, no, it is it 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 is um again on in hindsight, like if they kept the Joker alive, like if that hadn't have been the way, if 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 he'd been caught and put into Arkham Asylum or something, and I wonder if Jack Nicholson insisted no kill my character off because I'm I'm one and I'm done. I don't know. I just like I do wonder Every time the Joker falls to his death, there's a part of me that ridiculously is sad because he's such a great character. And as as great as the characters are in the in the next movie, I do wonder what a second movie with Jack Nicholson's Joker might have been like if he was able to have broken out of Arkham mm-hmm. with 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 the Penguin or whoever else they might have gone in that direction. But uh, it's a great scene that final scene. Um, and that's where, of course, the you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses online. I mean, I think you and I are both wearing exactly the same glasses that Jack Nicholson was wearing when he made that joke. I think, and too, this is probably where my if I was going to criticize this movie, but it's I'm really, I'm really stretching the areas you know obviously where you have kind of the jokey the joker helicopter kind of show up like it just, it just feels so unnecessary and I, I i think it's is it because now i'm just old and dull and i understand you know the the marketing budgets and costs to do such thing it just seems so ridiculous that you, you've had time to brand a, a helicopter get someone to fly that helicopter and then ultimately it's involved in your demise but it's it's also just such classic batman that i I feel so wrong faulting it because it's yeah. it's part of the fun that is is this universe. It's like the Joker cars as well. You know, you've got this beautiful metallic purple bodywork and the green roofs and the green yeah. wheel wheel caps. It's um, yeah, no, there are some questions. The sh- talking of cars, the shields on the Batmobile. I remember being wowed by that, and like there was moments in the cinema, like you know, Terminator Two with the the liquid metal. But like seeing the shields go up on the Batmobile, I always thought that effect looked spectacular. I I still think it looks okay today. It, it, it's quality, right? Like there's, I think there's components of futuristic cars. Like when I think of Teslas and stuff, that kind of have you know like the sentry mode and the and obviously it's not kind of like fully shielding up like that. But I think so much of this of of you know the way we use technology now for fun kind of draws on things like obviously i think century mode is more of a a nolan universe sort of batman feature but again it, it still reminds me of that same um shield mode of the batmobile do you think um so the art gallery scenes um do you like is there a lull in the middle of the movie where they're dragging things out too soon because i love the art gallery scene but I wonder, is there a bit of a lull in the middle of the movie where they're just trying to pat it out with a little bit of Joker audacity and sort of colourfulness? Um, are they sort of slowing the movie down or are you no complaints there? It's funny, I think, because, again, like watching this movie now as an old person, you – you kind of really like I don't know, I kind of really just think about how creepy it is that obviously the Joker has his has his girlfriend, but he's now sort of fallen for Vicky Vale, and he's trying to woo her, but he's trying to woo her by, you know, knocking her out with gas and 
Like it's kind of like the the thought process behind a lot of this stuff now is is, is quite creepy. And I I don't know again like like from an audience kind of testing point of view or from a what were they trying to like what were they aiming for this movie? Like I I'm sure there's lots of information out there on the on the internet, but it, I just I I do wonder how they would have marketed this movie in today's day. Yeah, oh, I would be fascinated to to know how they might do that. Yeah, and and so I I don't know. It, like it it always was uh, a relatively long movie. Like what are we, what are we talking at here? This is I'm just looking on IMDb. So this is two hours and six minutes. That's a that's a decent length for a uh, a movie from nineteen eighty nine. I, I definitely remember. You know, after winning my my VHS copy of this movie, there would be bits that I would maybe not be as interested in as some of the the classic Batman scenes. But I think now, now I can kind of fully appreciate this movie for what it is and and the role that it plays in the Batman universe. So I, I kind of find it quite hard to pick holes in because it is I have such fond memories of it as a child. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. And we've we've talked about this before when we've talked about about Star Wars and, and Superman, Indiana Jones, and many other things, James Bond, where it's that childhood effect that this movie means so much to us. Um, this was the highest grossing movie of 1989, and for the year it came in second only to Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. I would love to see, and I have yet to see, a really good documentary behind the scenes of this movie because I've read lots of little bit of bits and pieces all over the place, things that you've touched on about the difficulties with the suit. Um, Jack Nicholson being uh, someone who would, because he'd go out late in the evening and party till like three, he would he would not come on set any earlier, like 10 a.m. at the earliest. And then Michael Keaton would do some scenes whilst Nicholson was sat there asleep in the chair. And it's, I mean, it's just, you know, there are actors through the years and they're a generation gone, you know, the Marlon Brando's, the Jack Nicholson's that would be able to get away with that kind of behavior. Um, but I would love to have seen from a production point of view, from a Tim Burton point of view, how this movie all came together. Because as I said, all those things that come together, the music, the editing, the cast, all those things, this for me is an encapsulation of, of near perfection. Has this inspired you to want to watch the the rest of the the Batman series? No, this has inspired me to watch Batman Returns mm-hmm. for sure. Those movies go together. I'm a I'm a real um, I'm really quite uh, like you know Terminator. I watched the whole way through. You know, I watched them all, and even though people have issues with it, I watched it the whole way. Same with Alien. People have issues with the last two. I watched it the whole way through. There's something same as Superman. I watched it the whole way through. There's something about the Batman movies three and four, the, the the Batman Forever, the Batman Robin, that I, even though they have the same Alfred, uh, Michael Goff, Pat Hengel playing the same Commissioner Gordon, even though they're quite clearly a continuation of that story, I choose to turn off after two in my mind. And I, I, I really struggle with the third and fourth movies. The first two with Tim Burton as a director uh, are different things. They changed the music for the third and fourth one. I can't even talk about that. It's odd. You're right. Even looking at the posters, like, you know, original Batman, Batman Returns, so dark and moody and black. But I I think when you get into Batman Forever, you get into Batman and Robin, you really see kind of the 
the zany color coming into it, the extension of the cast. I, I, I like Jim Carrey. I, I, mm. I don't know how I feel about him as the Riddler. Like it, it was all a bit too much. I, you know, just last week we were talking about how great Irma Thurman was as Poison Ivy and yep. would probably make a fantastic Poison Ivy in today's age. But again, like, didn't love Mr. Freeze. No. Uh, like, it just, it, it didn't, like, it's a shame because it's a shame that when you have to take these kind of four movies and you have to kind of separate them into the two and kind of compartmentalize the, the package like that. But there's still two great movies that, um, despite, you know, and even the IMDb reviews kind of speak for that, right? As you get into Batman Forever, you're getting into a 5.4, Batman and Robin, a 3.7, which yeah. is just crazy. It's in, it is incredible. And also, you know, we're talking about the likes of Val Kilmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman. You know, we're talking about top list cast members whom we have enjoyed many movies that they've done mm. uh, that it just, I mean, there's a reason why, and we haven't got to it yet. Um, this, the, the Flash movie has brought back Michael Keaton as Batman and not George Clooney as Batman. There, there are reasons why. And um, I, yeah, this is, I mean, it's another conversation when we start comparing all the Batmans across the board, but this for me is just everything I could ever have wanted from a, from a Batman movie. And we have reviewed, you know, the Batman, the Robert Pattinson movie, and we both absolutely love that movie for the different things that they are. I can never say that even though some people have tried to convince me, oh, you know, Batman and Robin, you've got to think about it as like the colorful comic book. I just can't then. And so I'm inspired to watch Batman Returns. I'll happily talk to you about that movie on this podcast, but you would, you'd really have to sell three and four to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm with you. I, and I think that's the thing, right? Like when you, time is precious and, you know, there's things that I will happily go back and watch any day of the week. It's, But it does feel like hard work to sort of go back to those ones. But nevertheless, I, I would love to talk about Batman Returns. I I almost wonder whether it might even be my favourite of the two. I, mm. It'll need a rewatch to really kind of confirm that. But I just, even now, just looking at the poster scene, Danny DeVito as, as the Penguin, so, so good. Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman. Honestly, so good. It's a really good question. Is is it the better movie? I don't know because, see, this movie rates pretty highly across Metascore, 7.5 on IMDb. Um, but, you know, Batman Returns is a really strong movie. They've built on things they haven't got to do, you know, the origin, they, so they can go in another direction and give us an origin of, of, of Catwoman and Penguin. But that's, you know, that's coming in at 7.1. I wonder... I wonder then, is it the better movie? And again, like you, I haven't watched it for a wee while. I'd be keen to, to dive into it. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been good, Paul. I, I've loved having the flashback. I've loved sharing the Batman memories. I, it's, it's, it's so good to be able to sort of spend a little bit of extra time and, and deep dive on these movies. Every now and then there are special movies that I think are a bit of fun for us just to dive into, put aside our normal agenda and just go in deep and just randomly pull out the stuff that we love about this movie because there are other movies I think we could do that around and I'm also not against the idea of you know if listeners have got 
movies that they think would be worth a real deep dive, putting that on the table as well. But Batman 1989 has been a great rewatch, and I too have enjoyed diving back into it, Dan. If you were going to give it a, a score on the guns akimbo, oh, it's it's, it's everything. It's all the it, guns. It, it's 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 everything. I mean, I I have it on our website listed um, as as being in my top ten of all time, and I can't. I mean, that's that's the hardest list in the world to get into, as far as I'm concerned. Mm, mm, mm. That's good. That's good. What about you, Dan? <sighs> yeah, all the guns. It, it's such a classic. Um, I. I couldn't recommend it more highly. Um, I think it's it, it deserves a special place in every uh, every movie lover's um, cabinet, and as you say, one to kind of own on on 4K or Blu-ray if you can. But if you want to watch that movie here in New Zealand, you can actually find that on uh, where can you find it? Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say to you, how did you how did you watch this movie? Because of course, I, I thought that the Blu-ray. Netflix. I watched it on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so if the Blu-ray isn't quite there, and if Netflix isn't quite there, that's where the 4K version could be something mm. worth worth going for. I've just checked online as well. It's I've got it at number two on my Ooh. top ten movies of all time. So that is why I'm coming in with very little criticism and just gushing all over the place about this one. Mm, indeed. Well, does that bring us to the end of a, another episode of the Half Measures Podcast? I think it does indeed. Thank you for listening and let us know your thoughts on this movie. Uh, we'll put some socials out as well. Um, we may even post a picture of a young Dan Whiting. We'll get back to you on that. But yeah, thanks for listening in. Indeed. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Diana Kanawa, and Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the TV show, of the TV show, <laughs> of the podcast, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.